Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, fellow explorers. Great to have you as always. And I always say I'm excited, and today I'm doubly excited because I have two friends who have uh, helped me on the consciousness path, and I think they can help you as well. They have a model that is, I think, unsurpassed in showing you where you are, where you want to be, and how to get there. Their names are Ted Strauss and Dr. Carol Griggs. And before I introduce them, I do want to say hello to my trusty co-host and sidekick, Brian Tom O'Connor. Good to see you, Brian. Uh, how are you doing? Very well, Jonathan. I'm also doubly happy to be here with our, our double guest explorers. Yeah, this is our first time with two explorers. And the reason we invited them is because they've both been working on something called the I Conscious Model. Uh, and you can find out more about them at iconscious.global. And it's a model that is, is really both practical and eye-opening and different and helpful. And they have developed over the last several years, I'll have them talk about it. But Dr. Carol Griggs works at John F. Kennedy University. Uh, she's written a book that Brian will say a little bit more about. And Ted Strauss is a man about town, a Renaissance man. He's an inventor. He does all kinds of stuff. And he's also a good friend and somebody who I have hired to coach me as well. But before talking to them, why don't you say a little bit about your experience of Dr. Griggs' book, uh, Brian? Yes, I just finished Carl's book, Space to See Reality, and I thought it was marvelous. And it's about coaching, and it's about a new paradigm of coaching in which she says that there's been very little literature about coaching in the past that doesn't focus on how to fix the personality, but that instead focuses on consciousness and seeing the personality from our true natures of, of consciousness. And I, I thought it was great. And just uh, a little quote from the uh, book that I thought was inspiring. She says, if it is true that clients have all the answers they need, how might you show up differently in your sessions with clients? And when I read that, uh, I found that a real eye-opener. So thank you for writing that book, Carol, and thanks for being on the show, both Carol and Ted. Yes, welcome. Thank Good you. to see you both. Thank you so thank much you. for both of Great you. Great to be here. People generally uh, won't be familiar with your model and, and talk a little bit about your perspective of what you were trying to do in creating this very helpful approach to really um, accelerating human potential by creating a model that would give people a sense of where they are and where they want to be. So uh, let me give you just some time to explain that, and then we'll go into some details about consciousness expansion. Great. I think what really started this was that... Uh, 
Carol and I were both noticing, we're both doing coaching work with a lot of clients, and we both noticed that people didn't really understand where they were in the process. And because they didn't understand where they were, they were kind of wandering around a bit lost and trying to figure out where they were and where they were going. Now, the world of personal development and consciousness development is replete with writings and teachings. And yet, there isn't a lot in common about what the path looks like and where it's going. A lot of things are said, and a lot of things are not well-defined, and people are still, you know, we notice just trying to figure out what's going on. And that doesn't help the process very much. For in the phrase, it's a mess. Exactly. And so um, we quickly realized as, you know, when Carol and I first uh, met and started talking about our mutual interest in finding a way to map out what's happening in the process, we quickly realized that the very first step is to, is to go through our own experience, go through all the research and put together the clearest model we possibly can that helps people see where they are and where they're going. And everything else that we do has got to be based on that, whether it's in our coaching work or in programming robots and avatars to help people in their process or any other resource. It's got to start with that. Yeah. What I liked about it was that it not only mapped out the levels of consciousness, but also development in other areas. And in fact, you do five areas, uh, consciousness, consciousness, body, mind, emotions, and what you call uniqueness. A person can be very developed in one of those areas and not developed in the others and how that creates problems for them. Because if you're unbalanced, eventually something hits a fan. And uh, seeing, being able to map out where you are in those five dimensions really gives you an accurate sense of how balanced a person you are. Uh, Carol, I'm wondering, you use this in your coaching practice a fair amount, I assume. Is that right? I do. Yes, I do. How do you use it? You know, it really depends on the situation and the client that I'm working with. Some clients, I'm very outward with it, and I share the model with them and show them where they are um, developmentally and or get their feedback on where they perceive where they are developmentally and have a conversation around that and we can start to see where they are, where they want to be, and also the discrepancies within the domains, as you were just talking about, where they could be very well developed in certain areas and relatively undeveloped um, in other areas and, and start to make sense of where some of those gaps are and, and what's causing some of the issues and challenges, either professionally or personally. And other people, I don't necessarily share the model with them, um, but it is kind of running in the background as I'm working with them and, and feeling into the gaps and some of the challenges that they're bumping into and addressing those with them. Um, I do find some people, it's really helpful for them to see the model and other people, for some reason, I just have an intuition that it feels like it might be a distraction at that time. Um, and I may or may not share that with them mm -hmm. later. It's just very situational. Mm -hmm. Now, if people want to learn about your model, is the best way to go to the website? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they can go see it for free. Um, we'll just ask them to sign up for a, a free um, account, and then they can just go right on over and take a look and read the whole thing. They can also see the model in print when the book comes out, hopefully yeah. within a couple of weeks. Um, and right, the book is called I Conscious Accelerating Human Potential. And, uh, hopefully and the website that will be, is... Yeah, the website is still iconscious.global. 
And but the book will also be available on Amazon and Kindle, probably in a couple of weeks. That's great. I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Now, yeah, Brian, me too. <laughs> you're new to the model. So what's your yes. impression? Well, I at first it was I found it a little daunting. I, I, yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, um, this is this is really a lot to take in. And 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 then the more I looked at it, the more fascinated I became. And it started to click when I started to realize, you know, how you read across in the different um, uh, domains, domains. Uh, down on the left, and then across through the progression in the three different. What, what do you call the three phases phases right and then each phase has its own chapter is that right stages each stages. stage has a number of stages within it. right but the one thing that fascinated me most about it and i was very happy about it was to see that uniqueness is one of the domains mm -hmm. in the model uh i would be more exp uh, it would uh, be less surprised to see the others consciousness emotions mind and body and since the progression is towards the dissolution of subject object, we might think that uniqueness was sort of contrary to that progression. So how does the realization that, well, that we're really not our personalities square with the full expression of our unique personalities? Well, I'd love to say something about that. <laughs> I think the progression in the uniqueness domain is about becoming more and more of who we are designed to be. So everyone has their own very unique gifts and their own very unique limits and their own unique history. And we're all here with some particular either purpose or function in mind. And so as we grow, we just start to discover by trying things what who we are and who we're really not. And it takes at the beginning in phase one, it takes us a while to figure out that we can't become who we want to be just because we want it. We actually, the only thing that really works is to become who we actually are. So we might decide, oh, I'd love to be this amazing author who writes like a thousand books and everybody loves me. But then if you, if it turns out that, you know, who you really are is an inventor or something else like that, the universe will keep kicking you until you go in the direction of who you are. And that progression continues to happen. You get to the point where you at first start to just accept who you are and you stop believing that you can become something you just wish you were and in fact are not. And as you drop into yourself, that brings you into phase two. And in phase two, you, you're operating from the home base of yourself instead of your ideas. You have become one with yourself, which simultaneously is one with the universe because self and universe are not separate. And so you grow from there and you heal all of your um, past conditioning that were, was based on a fundamental sense of separateness from self and world and others. And you become even more who you are and you discover an absolute imperative to bring forth the gifts that you have. Otherwise, well, there's this quote, right? Like, if you bring forth who you are, it will heal you. And if you don't, it will destroy you. And it's really true. Um, at that point, you become so in tune with who you are that you are absolutely um, operating out of the necessity to be who you are. So you become very deeply who you are. And that's the only way to let go of who you are. You have to go through that. 
that you still are being who you are, even when you get to phase three and the subject object dissolution happens and you lose that whole sense of self that you had before that. But just because you lose that sense of self, or maybe better to say, you lose the need for any defined sense of self. It just becomes unimportant. What becomes important is to simply give service as who you are. At that point, you're fully being your unique self without any doubt or glitch. You're just being that. You simply lost the old perspective on life, that I am a separate person being this function or whatever. Instead, you're just like a leaf on the water being carried down. And that's just part of life. So in a certain way, you're losing all your self-consciousness. Yes. And we call that, um, what's the word? Uh, Self-reflection. You lose this Self-referencing. Yeah, self-referencing. You lose this habit of constantly referencing back to self. And you get to this point where it's like, oh, I was just doing that to check and make sure I was okay. I don't, I'm okay. I don't need that anymore. And it just goes away. And you're just being there doing your thing. And you're being absolutely unique. It's just that you don't have this self-referencing going on. I also think there's been some confusion around unity consciousness as sameness and that that um with that sameness that uniqueness can't exist it's this funny polarity that people get caught up in that that they need to drown out their uniqueness in order to experience the sameness that is one Um, and i know it sounds kind of um choppy and a little maybe uncertain but that that's part of the uniqueness that we actually love bringing to the fore is um, mm-hmm. your unique flavor can absolutely come um, out more amidst sameness, not in lieu of. In fact, it that. needs to, it, it absolutely needs to. It, it, it does absolutely have to. And I love how Ted said, you know, that which you don't bring forth will destroy you. And I think, and, and, you know, I've noticed with some of my clients and even myself of, you know, those times where I wasn't um, uh, polishing the actual unique intricacies of how I show up in the world or how my clients show up in the world, it gets uncomfortable. Something gets uncomfortable. Something wants to be fully here. Something, and it becomes even more nuanced um, the more you evolve. And so it's actually a really beautiful thing to see more individuation coming out amidst sameness, amidst unity. It's not, it's not an or. Yeah, this yeah. business of the personality, it's, I'm so glad you're saying what you said, Carol. That's just so important. Glad, and Brian, I'm so glad you asked this question because there's so many schools of development that think that we should not be angry, we should not be reactive, we should not be this or that or the other thing because it's not spiritual or it's not, it's not going to get you to where, you know, to the oneness of consciousness that everybody thinks they're going for. And that the oneness excludes right. anger or the oneness excludes oneness is oneness, but, but not this, which is hysterical. <laughs> right. It's right. Which like, obviously that's not true. If everything really is one, then clearly that's not true. And yet, <laughs> you know, when you're living in this dual phase, that's how we tend to see things. And it's very easy to get caught in that puzzle thinking you should just be the bliss of infinite beingness and not be your personality but um from our perspective 
we help people become who they are because that's the one of the fastest ways to get them into unity. Yeah, that's Ironically. great. You know, um, I've met a lot of gurus and they all are different. They're not all the same. Right. <laughs> the one thing I would say they have in common is that they are very unique and they're very fully alive in some form. So yeah. I think your model makes that clear. And the other thing I liked about the model, I liked a lot of things, but it also is prescriptive, meaning it's very practical. You know, in your model, you can literally see if I'm at level six here, the next thing I need to do is written out. Like you yeah. need to focus on this. And yes. it's very precise. And I found that really interesting because sometimes I would say, oh yeah, that is what I'm attracted to or what I need to do right now. Mm -hmm. In different areas, whether it was consciousness or body or emotions. I know my wife looked at, at it and she said, well, yeah, this is where you are body-wise. That's why you need to dance. It says you should need to dance more here. <laughs> yeah. And so I found it very practical as well as intellectually satisfying. And I think that really differentiates your model from a lot of other models about human development. Yeah, thank and, you. Right. We really wanted to give people a roadmap. And obviously, like the lines that that divide one stage of development to another, they're fuzzy. Um, but we did also want to be very clear about um, the expansion process at each of the stages and how one can evolve step by step and not be wandering. Um, I mean, I know Ted and I, we were both wanderers trying to figure out what the next step was and what the next book was or retreat or this or that and kind of, you know, reaching into the air and whatever was next. And so we wanted to provide some sort of a, a roadmap for people to get a better understanding intellectually and then even viscerally in their body as to what that next step of evolution is and to be very clear about what that is and what practices that they can be leaning into to help expand awareness or whatever other domains that they're working on. And I want to mention that that's actually the principle behind the iConscious assessment that we now have available on our website. The whole point of the assessment is it takes you through 82 very thought-provoking questions that tend to make people sweat a little as they're thinking about where they are in their process. And at the end of that, it specifically gives you a result in each domain showing you where you're straight, you know, where you're developed and where you're less developed in each domain, and also where you are in the views, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and then it specifically says, okay, in this domain, here's where we feel you need to do some work. Here's the work we feel you need to do. And here we, and now we explain why we think that's important. And then we go on to the next domain. Here's where we think you are here. Here's the work you need to do. And that's the whole point of the iConscious assessment. So yeah, I, I think that's fairly important because when people don't have that, again, it's like, this reminds me of the moment I walked into the Open Secret Bookstore, which is the big spiritual bookstore in Marin County. And standing there amidst thousands of volumes mm -hmm. of people's writings about mm -hmm. how to, you know, grow in consciousness and your whole being, but they're all different, you know, and each one has its own maps and models. And it's like, how the heck are you supposed to navigate this? <laughs> that was really our purpose is to tie it all together, look at all the research and find the best way to describe how to do that. And we, we didn't also necessarily need to be the end-all, be-all for all the answers. We wanted to provide a researched model that could drop in other people's work 
as Ted said, you know, he walked into a bookstore and there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of books being written on this topic. But each one of those books could probably find themselves in a particular place within the model. And we found that to be a really powerful piece that we're not saying that we have all the answers to every single domain of, of content and practices and things like that. Jonathan, I know you've got a, a lot of things that you've created over the years in terms of meditations and things like that. And so to look at these different teachers and the different styles and some teachers tend to teach more towards people in developmental stage seven or six and other teachers really hone in on development at, at stage 12. And so for people to be able to find where they are developmentally and then find the appropriate resources, even outside of what we're offering other books, other retreats, other, other works that are out there in the world. We wanted to kind of create a, a hub where it could tie together all the different things that are available so people can get out there and find the resources that would most nourish them at the most appropriate time. Yeah, you know, one of the reasons I was so enthusiastic was that when I look at the whole spiritual sphere, it looks almost random. You know, you find a teacher and that teacher knows this area, one area, but you might not fit that area, you know? Right. And if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. So it, it's helpful in, in seeing what might be appropriate for you, but it's also helpful in seeing what your weak leg is. And I notice that people generally don't focus on their weak leg. They focus on what they're good at. And part of your model is if you focus on what you're good at and you ignore your weak leg, then that discrepancy between what's strong in you and weak in you gets to be a problem. And you see this in gurus where they have a lot of conscious awareness, but their emotions or body is such that they get into all kinds of trouble with sexual things and moral things. And to a lesser extent, people uh, like me might ignore something like the body and then you get into body pains or you get into where you're ignoring relationships and you're not strong there. So it's really important, I think, that people understand the value of seeing your weak leg and giving it perhaps more effort than what you might be called your consciousness work. If you're not in, in your body, if you're not in your emotions, that's probably where you should be focusing. Absolutely. Right. And Ted and I talk about this all the time that when we're working with clients, we, that's the first place we go. You know, I mean, somebody who is adept at, you know, evolving their consciousness, like, hey, keep going, you're doing great. Um, but let's focus at this other spot, maybe it's body and, and see what's what issues are arising because of the lack of focus on that area. And there's clearly some need to lean into that and learn how to build that muscle so to speak. And so some coaching, that's usually where people actually reach out for coaches is not because they're doing amazing. It's usually because they're tripped up a little bit and they're usually tripped up because there's something they can't see. It's a blind spot. It's an area of development that they are not, that they're not aware that, that is holding them back. Um, and so to have somebody shine a light on it and say, Hey, let's, let's lean in here a little bit um, and see how that might um, help your whole evolution. Because once that weaker leg, as you would say, starts to catch up, and we start to integrate, that integration process can expedite um, one's evolution. Yeah, I just worked with a woman a couple of days ago who um, I was looking at her results from the iConscious assessment, and uh, she was exactly the same thing. She was doing good in consciousness, but in emotions, there were some glitches there, and we talked for a little while, and um, 
I just, I reflected back to her that I felt like she wasn't uh, owning her anger. And this is a big issue, especially among spiritual people. The idea that anger is bad or wrong or somehow disqualifies you from some kind of awakening. Uh, it's, it's really annoying to us to see people <laughs> like labor under that uh, misunderstanding. And uh, as soon as I was coaching her to really get into and own the beauty of her anger and the importance of her anger and the necessity to use that as a way to say no when what she means is no, her whole energy is completely sharpened up and she became much more present. And that's how powerful this stuff is. It's like as long as we keep maintaining these old ideas that we think are, you know, how to how to pare away parts of ourselves so that we end up with nothingness. <laughs> it's like it's with cardboard at the end. Yeah, exactly. It's that's not what we find actually works. Yeah. You have to include everything must be included. I mean, yeah. Everything is unified. Everything is one. And it sounds very cliche, but you can't, uh, you can't experience unity when anger is chopped off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel, you feel the separation as you divide an energy like that. And you feel then separate. You feel separateness, even though it's not. But that will be your experience of self and life. If there are certain parts of you that are, are being sliced and diced. So yeah. that's the power of integration. It's the power of actually tending to all five of these domains and really learning to include. I mean, really, it's a, it's, you know, I say life is a, integration and it's an awareness process of integration how much can we integrate um and and then it just becomes obvious that we're none of it as well which is the the funny part is but but in order to feel that we are none of it we often have to feel that we are all of it yeah one of my descriptions of um the recognition of unity is everything nothing and me (laughs) when you get that it's all three of those things at the same time all as one that gives you an idea of how we perceive what unity is about. Everything includes everything, includes nothing, includes my own personal experience. Nothing gets left out. That's you know, you, part of what you talked about is, is really uh, a model to help people coach themselves to the next level, but also all of us, all four of us are consciousness coaches uh, and have played that role. And I find that, that's kind of like a new area, you know, people say life coaches, but that's usually not, that's more about the outward life rather than their yeah. inner life. And I know Brian's done some coaching. I do coaching. Uh, really all four of us have experience with that. And Brian, I know that you have uh, done a bunch of coaching recently. And of course your book offers many methods for helping people. What have you found is useful in your coaching? And then we could talk about the idea of coaching in general, like what is the potential value of consciousness coaches, not just life coaches? Well, I think that what Carol just talked about, about including, is one of the, um, I call them awareness games uh, that I um, help 
people through. And one of them is called include, 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 where you start with an emotion that you may be having that you might not want. And you ask, well, what else is here? What else is in your awareness? I mean, there's the, the, the sense of your, there's the feeling of your body against the chair. There's sounds, there's breeze, there's thoughts. And you just keep including as much as possible. And the emotion, while well, you're not trying to get rid of it, somehow changes its relative proportion to all that is in your awareness. So um, that's one thing. And the other thing that Carol talks about a lot in in her book that I really resonated with is I think I think the best metaphor you used was the transparency metaphor. Mm -hmm. Just just being there with no agenda, absolutely allowing yourself and the other person to be exactly as they are in this moment. I think that's really uh, useful, helpful, effective, and, and fun. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I love the term self as instrument. You know, as a coach, um, I'm only going to really be able to coach somebody to the place where I am. I can't coach somebody really beyond where I'm at. And so it's really, you know, what parts and pieces, uh, how integrated am I? You know, because any emotion or any thought or any anything that is um, that I see in my client that's not yet integrated here is going to be difficult really for my client to integrate if I'm if I'm if there's a blind spot in me. Mm -hmm. So the more transparent and integrated and whole while also empty, providing this clear open space, the easier it will be for anything and everything to be allowed in the client for them to welcome it in themselves when they're, I mean, typically they're having a hard time welcoming certain things, but if I can't welcome it myself, how the hell am I going to welcome it for and with them? in that space. So that's why I call, you know, the book is called space to see reality. It's, it's how, I'm, how is the coach showing up? What's the transparency and identifications of the coach and how that provides a transformative space for the client. Um, so the degree of transparency in me is what I'm actually offering to the client of everything is welcome here. Um, and it, it's uh, extremely transformative in supporting them to welcome everything inside themselves. And Ted, you have a, uh, Ted has actually been serving as a coach for me the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I've had uh, various spiritual teachers that kind of acted in that capacity to some extent. Um, but I've really enjoyed Ted's coaching and found it very, very useful where he was like uh, pinpointing where the, what I call the holes in my balloon are. You know, if you have a little <laughs> hole in a balloon, that balloon will not, you know, blow up. And so he'll, he'll point, like, you might try when you're, you know, doing this to do it at half your normal pace, you know, so you can bring in more of a meditative experience there. And I'm wondering, uh, in your coaching practice of, of people, what you have learned or what your approach is, Ted, or how you see your approach? Well, you know, having worked with Carol for some years now and put together this model, it's like the, there's no way to avoid, I think, for both of us that that approach, that the model becomes the context for our work. Mm -hmm. It's like you, we see people in wholeness and the wholeness includes clear definitions of what that's about, which are the three dimensions in our model, domains, views, and development. And uh, within that, just being 
very present with people, feeling them, hearing them talk. You just feel, I, I find myself just feeling the little pinch points. It's like, you can just hear where they're coming from when they're talking. You can just feel where they're coming from. You can tell what they're working on in the background. You, you know, feel what, the what, duality. Exactly. You can feel the rub. You know, right. where's the this or, where's the or? Yeah, what, what are they fighting against? What are they rejecting yeah. in themselves? What are they rejecting in the world? What are they trying to fix or get over? Um, and as soon as, as soon as that comes into view, it's like, okay, I feel like here's the piece that we really need to focus on. It seems like mm-hmm. you may be pushing away this part of yourself, and that's what continues to perpetuate this perception of duality. Let's see what happens if we start including that. What's the objection to including that? And we just get into it, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that just has this magical miracle grow effect. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you're just you identifying just right the duality. You know, and as Ted says, you know, I think we both we're feeling into people, we're feeling into their system and and we're listening for the language. You know, language is inherently dualistic, but we're listening for where there's an energy, like a charge in the in the language that's creating a duality because that duality is the rub it's it's the discomfort because life is not dual and so that's typically where people are tripped up is where they're perceiving duality where it's actually unified so it's pretty simple once you hone in and can really identify and really you have to identify it in yourself those dualities and be able to have that sense within your own system and then having that sense with other people typically comes online pretty well Something I've been struck with uh, is how easy it is to see somebody else's weak spots and how hard it is to see it in ourselves. You know, I I lived for many years with a spiritual teacher and he would put somebody on the hot seat and he would tell them all the weak spots and what they were doing. And that person would always deny and say, no, (laughs) that's not it. And that's a misunderstanding and everything. And 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 then at the end, he'd say, if you think that Joe is really like this, everything I just described, raise your hand. And we would all raise our hand because oh, we knew true. Joe. And it was a, a perfect description. And he was Ouch. always exactly correct, except when I was on the hot seat. <laughs> which exactly. case, everything he said was completely false <laughs> and made up. And then he'd say, if you think Jonathan is like this, raise your hand and everybody would raise their hand and I would for a couple of years I didn't believe it and then I started to see that everything that they were saying about me was actually true yeah uh, but you know our eyes go out they don't go in so it's really hard to see these things and sometimes uh, when I coach people they think how did you know this so quickly about me and you know from my perspective it's like screaming at me you know from their perspective it's totally invisible. And so that's why I think coaching is so important when it comes Absolutely. to I mean, that's you why know, they call them blind spots, right? Yeah. I mean, they call them shadows, blind spots, you know, anything dark, because we can't see them. It's not the light of our own awareness is not shined on it. It's not been integrated. We don't even know it's there. So that's the first piece. The second piece that comes up is, you know, the ego just wants to, you know, identify with and as and and deny, you know, there's a fear that comes up. It threatens our sense of self. So by getting that reflection that we can't see, it's threatening. 
Hence the like, no, that's not me. Are you crazy? And then everybody's like, oh, yep, it absolutely is. And it, which makes it even scarier because it's like, how is everybody seeing this? But I don't. Yeah. So I'd say those are the two pieces that come up for me. And I want to add that um, when the coach, when the coach is willing to look at his or her own stuff, and it's not only willing, but is well-trained and has been doing it for some time. <laughs> then when you sit with the client, um, one of the things you're transmitting is the willingness to look inside and the capacity to look inside. And so then the client just picks up on that. And all of a sudden for them, they're less defensive. Yeah, they become just true. much more open and they're willing to look at their own stuff because they can see you're not rejecting that in yourself. Yeah. And, and they is, feel this, the normalcy, you know, if you can make it playful and soft and like, yeah. Oh, when I notice this, I notice this, like, I'm curious, what do you see? Like you make it just so normal to just start looking at your shit. So, so, you know, it's part of my language, but you just make it normal. Yeah, you make it exactly. fun. You make it playful. You make it interesting. You don't make it something to be afraid of. Um, and, and I found that that helps tremendously for people yeah. to like, Oh, I guess I could just be curious about this and wonder. And, and then all of a sudden they start finding things around what you're seeing and it just becomes a much smoother process. Well, this is just part of what, I, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, about the difference between life coaching and uh, coaching for consciousness. And there's many kinds of coaching. Um, we are specifically building a coach program that will become available, that will start in January. And it's, you can see it on our website. And the whole point of training eye conscious coaches is to help people understand that this is a whole new category of coaching. We're just calling it eye conscious coaching. And what it means is that these coaches are willing to take in the whole range of who they are, what development is about, and the different uh, dimensions of development, and the capacity that we bring in, as Carol was bringing in, with being present with ourselves, being open to ourselves, including everything. All of these things that we find to be the most accelerating factors is what eye conscious coaching is all about. And it includes everything and is as integrated as we can possibly make it. And we'll be using, you know, Ted and I created a course for John F. Kennedy University probably two or three years ago and have been teaching that on and off. Um, in it, the course is called uh, Human Development and the Evolution of Consciousness. And we've been using our model as part of that as students study all the different frameworks and maps and models that are out there um, in different um, different arenas. And so we will be bringing some of that to the table so people can get an understanding of the history behind it. We're not going to go into too much depth on that because it's not necessarily like a deep, you know, master's course like John F. Kennedy. But we do want people to really understand the research that's behind this and what is what else is out there and how we've mm -hmm. integrated some of these pieces so they can better understand the whole picture. Um, it's also going to be, hopefully, I think we're working on an ICF accredited, which means that we will be yes. including a lot of the core competencies of ICF. So those coaches that already have which an ICF, ICF? Um, Integral Coaching International Federation. Coaching Federation. It's the big, if, if you're wanting to be a coach in any capacity, whether it's corporate coaching or whatever, that that's like the, the most known, I would say, and the most well-organized coaching federation where you can get a certification. I think it takes like two mm -hmm. years to get your certification. And then you need continuing education credits and whatnot. And so our course will be offered as um, somebody that can earn continuing education credits. And so um, we'll be including some of those core competencies on even just how to be a coach and how to show up along mm -hmm. with the model and the history and its application to oneself because you've got to understand where you are developmentally and then its application to others, whether you're a coach 
um, a life coach, a consciousness coach, or a therapist, or whether you're a leader. You know, I work with a lot of leaders at, you know, Google and companies in Silicon Valley. And, you know, are you a manager? Are you a director? And, and how can you use this model even in that mm -hmm. modality and how important mm -hmm. it can be to understand where the people that report to you are and how you engage with them and the people around you? Uh, Brian, I have a question. Um, actually, I'll, you may not know this, Ted, but I recorded our last session together and I shared it with Brian. Oh, great. That's great. That's great. I think that's and excellent. So you, you listened and, to that and you, you, uh, we talked about it a little bit, but having listened to that, were there any questions that came up or any impressions that came up for you? Oh, I thought it was really great and absolutely fascinating. And as a matter of fact, I, I, I thought it would be kind of cool if you, um, Ted, uh, told us the Jafar story, because we often think that, you know, in spirituality, there's often this idea that we have to uh, quiet our mind or that the mind is mm -hmm. the enemy. And on the, on the opposite side, um, most people are ruled by their mind, are governed by their mind, and uh, uh, their emotions are led by their mind. And, and uh, so I thought the Jafar story was a sort of a great antidote to that. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in this modern Western society, one of the most prevalent diseases is this belief that the mind is king. You know, every if you can develop your mind and fully bow down to that, <laughs> that that's going to give you everything you need in life and make you happy. And, you know, most people actually, they may not say they agree with that if you put it that way, but that's how they function, right? That's how I certainly functioned until I started to get that actually mind is not my higher power. <laughs> mind is, it's kind of like a computer, right? It's there to give us important information that we can make our decisions based on in our life, but it's just one input, right? And if, if all you're looking at mind for your inputs, you're gonna have a hard time in relationship. You're gonna have a hard time with your health. You're gonna have a hard time discovering who you are uniquely, and you're gonna have a hard time awakening to consciousness. Well, the mind and because the mind in. inherently works in duality, right, wrong, good, bad, left, right, up, right. down. So you're kind of always in this ping pong match if that's all you're associating with. And the mind only has its own particular limited perspective, right? It might think it's got everything, but clearly it doesn't. So this relationship that we have with mind needs to be re-examined as part of any kind of development process. And the Jafar story refers to Aladdin, right? And in the Aladdin story, um, the king, the, the actual king of the kingdom is hypnotized. He's under the spell of his prime minister who's got this evil staff in his hand with a snake that's just, you know, got him under his spell. And um, the 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 prime minister represents mind. He has taken over the kingdom. He's to be the king. He's got the king hypnotized into thinking he's second in command. And eventually in the story, uh, Aladdin finds a way to get this powerful staff out of this guy's hands. And all of a sudden the king wakes up and uh, puts Jafar back in his place. This is exactly what happens as we awaken in relation to our mind. We discover that who we really are is all of it, all of all of the domains of our being and all of our personality and all of consciousness and mind is in second place at best. 
it's you know it's just part of the rest of how we get information about life and when we understand that it makes it way easier to start relating to mind as just something that's trying to be helpful once in a while you can just you know if it's being really annoying you can just turn around to your mind and say you're being really annoying <laughs> you know you can look at it as if it was somebody on television trying to sell you something and if you think about it that way it's like you know they're saying you got to buy this you got to buy this you got to buy this and after a while it's like no i don't you either just turn it off or you just you know say hey i'm going to change the channel and you have to be able to separate far enough away from mine and not identify as it to be that space to do that exactly space to see reality and that's why it's so important to awaken his consciousness, because if there's going to be a senior principle here, it's definitely going to be consciousness. Consciousness has the capacity to see everything else that's going on in our body mind. And so it's the only domain in our being that is free of, the, of all of the, um, the story. It's free of the tendency to like, be attached to anything. So when you wake up as that part of yourself, you then have the space to begin to deal with all these other parts in a much more balanced way. You can include your mind as necessary. You can just put your attention on other important inputs as necessary, including other people, and not just be absorbed in mind all the time. And unfortunately, I have to say that the degree to which uh, especially Western, modern Western human beings are absorbed in mind is really shocking. And there's no way to know how deep that is until you awaken his consciousness. Mm -hmm. When you awaken his consciousness, the spell starts to instantly break and it's a completely different life. I like how you, you view it as it's not even, uh, you can tell your mind, you know, thank you for sharing. I've heard that a thousand times. You know, that's really not your mind. It's like a mind that's going yeah. And you change your relationship to it from it's me to it's right. mine that may be helpful, may be not. And right. a lot of the time your relationship can be, yeah, uh, I know what you have to say, um, but I am staying with presence yeah. and uh, you're not that helpful in this situation. <laughs> I yeah. often use the metaphor with clients of like, just imagine like a machine, like a fan next to you. And the fan is just spewing out thoughts. It's like a thought-making machine. It's just next to you and it's blowing in front of your consciousness. And you can grab it or you can just don't touch. You know, but just it's not yours. It's recycled thinking. That fan could turn around and blow in front of Ted. It could blow in front of you, Jonathan or Brian. And, you know, it's not personal. It's just they're just thoughts. And it's just a matter of whether we grab them and identify with and as them and entertain them and muddle with them. Or we just, you know, we don't touch them. Um, and I, I love that, you know, just uh, thank you for coming. I appreciate you showing up and <laughs> I don't need you right now. No, love you. Yeah. And that, yeah. that, that actual love, uh, that energetic love with it versus the, you know, F off, you know, I don't want to think there's a, it actually might have a deeper hold on you when you push it away with anger versus when you just, you know, I appreciate it. And I don't need to touch that right now. Yeah. Pamela Wilson, uh, a great spiritual teacher, one of my favorite phrases, she would always say, Thank your mind for its opinion. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> and who was exactly. it who said, um, the mind is an excellent servant, but a poor master? Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> but but you know. on the opposite end of the spectrum, 
there is the idea that we have to quiet our mind. And I recall there was a point that was a big revelation to me was when I realized I didn't actually have to quiet my mind, that actually yes. the background of awareness was there, whether my mind was busy and chattering yes. or not. Exactly. Such a relief when you realize you don't have to quiet the mind, nor really can you. I mean, those thoughts are going to blow through or they're not going to blow through. You're not going to, you can't control really shutting it off all the way. And the, even the thought that you can control is busyness anyway. So it's a, it's a relief once you realize that it's, yeah, that, that light of awareness, that light of stillness is always here, irrespective of what's blowing through it. A technique that I thought was very useful, if uh, I can share that technique, Ted. Sure, sure, go ahead. Okay. You said one way to, I mean, our consciousness is partly what we focus on. So if you're focusing on mind, everything becomes mind, and, and uh, you have all the ramifications of that. But a way out of mind that uh, you gave me was just focus on the sounds around you. Because as you focus on the sounds around you, you're entering into the present moment. It's not a doing because the sounds are already there. So you don't have to like effort the sounds around you. They're already happening. And as you do that, mind naturally quiets because you're not focusing on that dimension so much. So I found that to be a very effective tool for just becoming aware of conscious presence and the and the implication was my mind got quieter. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. one thing I love about that as well is, you know, a lot of practices have you focus on the breath, which brings people inside to sometimes the busyness inside, which is not a bad thing, but it's a it's a beautiful alternative Ted that you've offered of, you know, just listening to the outside sounds, which gets you kind of outside oneself for a moment and into the presence you know, and, and not that there's a difference with inside and outside, really, but it's a it's a, a different way mm -hmm. to get outside of oneself, if you will, and kind of mm -hmm. hear what's going on outside of you. That also brings brings one into that presence. I love. That. I, want, I want to tie this back into uh, what you so beautifully brought in, Brian, which is um, this business of whether or not we need to quiet our mind. And I I want to say that the reason that I think that there's so much emphasis on quieting the mind, especially in spiritual schools is because consciousness, when we first start seeking to understand and to experience consciousness, it seems transcendent. It seems beyond our current experience, and it's actually rather subtle. In fact, it's more subtle than the subtlest experience we've ever had because it's not a thing. And so to recognize, you know, when we're so deeply conditioned our whole lives to have our attention on the material, on the exteriors, and on the percept, the things that we can perceive, to then turn that around and experience the perceiver, the part that's actually being nothing but perceiving everything, that takes a change in attention. And to get there, it helps a lot of people to quiet their mind because their mind is so darn loud, they don't know how to go get away from it. The problem is that it makes you, you know, in constantly practicing uh, techniques that are you know, supposedly quieting the mind, the problem is you never get to the point that you were just talking about, Brian, is you never get to, to realize that it doesn't matter whether the mind is going on or not, that consciousness is still there. And so this becomes, from my perspective, a sort of a ramp that starts with practices that if it helps you, yes, you can quiet the mind. It's not the ultimate goal. You're still going to have a mind. It's still going to be there and it's still going to sometimes make a lot of noise. 
But if you can quiet your mind enough to recognize what's doing the, what's being aware of your mind, then you start, I, I work with um, clients to start recognizing the mind from the position of consciousness. First with eyes closed when it's easier to do and there's less distraction and visual stimuli. And then slowly with eyes open, beginning to recognize that we're witnessing our thoughts. And then eventually I coach clients to recognize consciousness in the midst of a wide open eyes, full activity, no matter what's going on. And I've noticed that a lot of people, for instance, and particularly Buddhist practitioners who've been doing a lot of mindfulness practice for years and years and decades, um, they end up not knowing that there's a way to have both. And that's mm. why the coaching in that direction is so important. So so glad you brought that in. That's super important. Thank yeah. you. That's really great to hear. And wonderful, I, I think, description and, and uh, detailed explanation of it. And uh, also the process, that the step-by-step -step process of, of getting there that you described, mm -hmm. I think is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff we want to bring out into the world because the technology of awakening is here, you know, and, and pieces that have been around for centuries. We're, you know, our job is to integrate it and make it accessible. That's the whole purpose of iConscious. Make it accessible to everyone. And eventually we'd like to make it accessible to the world, not only through iConscious coaches, but also through technology applications. Yeah, giving people the right tool at the right time in the right uh, domain accelerates yes. everything and and is really the future. And that's what I saw when I when I saw you. In fact, you're even working on teaching this to uh, artificial intelligence that can eventually help people because only if we can get this out to the masses can we yeah. create the consciousness shifts that we need on a global scale. And I appreciate that big vision as well. We only have a couple minutes left. Any final words uh, before we uh, sign off? Anything you want to add? Hmm. Well, one thing while you're thinking that I want to add is just how much I appreciate your friendship and how we've been able to uh, work together and play together and uh, just really be supportive. And this also goes for Brian that you know, when you're, when people are really working on themselves, there's a, like a common something that is really sweet to be with. And, you know, I have a lot of love for the three of you um, mm. because I, I sense that, you know, we're all part of a bigger mission and it feels really good to spend time with all of you. Yeah. You're here. You're here. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. And I totally feel the sweetness. I look forward to getting to know you more, Brian. And I agree. There's, there's um, one of the things I've noticed is that there's a whole huge, several generations of people have come in since I got into this stuff who are just about helping people to awaken. And a lot of people haven't even come to recognize yet that this is a thing. It's not only a thing, it's a necessity. I mean, if you just look around at the world and what's going on, the mess we've gotten ourselves into, it's become a dire problem. And the necessity to wake up, understand who we are, feel our connection with all of life, and recognize the consequences of our actions is more important, in my opinion, than anything. Because mm. the technology is going to keep going on. People will keep doing stuff. The only hope I believe that we have of getting out of this mess is waking up. And 
that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what we're doing. I believe that's what you're up to, Carol. I think we're yeah. all here in our own <laughs> yeah. ways for that. Yeah. And that's yeah. been our mission with eye consciousness too. Um, we see that awakening is the, 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 the core piece. It's what I call the acupuncture point really. Um, and it has become the focus of our work, not only with eye conscious, but our own coaching practices as well. And, um, I think we're both just really grateful to be playing the small part that we're playing and to be offer offering the model as, as one resource for people, whether it's through coaching or artificial intelligence. And it's just a real joy to share this time with you, Jonathan and Brian, because it's, Hmm. um, it's just feeling that larger community and everybody playing their own little part, um, in this awakening and to feel that kind of global, um, mission feels really good. And, um, so thanks for having us on today. It's, it's been really fun to play with you both. Yeah, yeah. I'm very grateful too. And I'm also grateful to you, Carol. Uh, I know that you've been under the weather and, and had laryngitis for a few days and, uh, and, uh, but here we are. And, and so thanks for being willing to talk to us today. I think that this has been really eye opening and, and wonderful and, and joyous. And I think, possibly only scratched the surface. I think we might in a few months time, if we can somehow manage to sync our schedules, do a part two. <laughs> we should start now. <laughs> we should start we now. Should. Yes. Uh, but I would love, I would love to go even, even deeper into it because I still have plenty of questions, but I thought we really delved uh, well, or both of you delved really well today. So thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you both. This has been great. So you can go to iconscious.global for more information. Of course, our website has all the different episodes and a donate button and many meditations and all kinds of stuff. And you can contact Ted and Carol through their website or, or Brian and I through our website, blah, 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 blah. And you've heard <laughs> it all before. But thanks for being part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. And thanks, Ted and Carol, for for your contribution. Thank you both so oh, much. Thank you both. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.